Buy with Rob is your best choice when purchasing your new home in the Puget Sound area. Call 360-710-9425 today and get started on the best home buying experience you will ever have. We certainly do get around. Like, like a bunch of renegade pilgrims who have thrown out of Plymouth Colony, we're Rhode Island bound. Or like a group of college freshmen who were rejected by Harvard and forced to go to Brown. from the Hale Vandula Show, and you're listening to the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Hey, did I tell you guys I got a goat? Rhode Island was founded by a radical. Roger Williams was kicked out of Massachusetts in 1636 for what were considered extreme views on religion, politics, and personal freedoms. He was accused of spreading diverse, new, and dangerous opinions and was almost arrested but managed to flee the state. What were these dangerous opinions? Separation from the corrupt Church of England, freedom of religion, and the legal separation of state and church. Williams wanted his new settlement to be a haven for those distressed of conscience, and it soon attracted a collection of dissenters and otherwise-minded individuals. This was combined with the principle of majoritarian democracy. Little column A, little column B. Yeah, baby! Oh, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life and thought about the laws of gravity. The United States Constitution, its ratification, Rhode Island, going rogue. Politics and or the news, don't touch that dial, just try to hear me out for a while. So we reach at last the last bit of the ratification discussion of the Constitution of the United States. It's been an interesting journey, and along the way we've met some some characters. And indeed, in this last little bit, we're going to meet one more as well. Here's how you get a hold of me. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 209-565-3283. The email is dave at thedavebowmanshow.com. And of course, we're on the web look for the Dave Bowman Show using your preferred non-denominational web search browser to take you to the thedavebowmanshow.com or Facebook or Twitter or iTunes. Any of those will get you to the Dave Bowman Show. Ego Bibera Capula said Oliver Verve. I drink coffee that others might live. It's been an interesting journey through this ratification process. It's something we don't think about anymore. We really don't. And I guess... I guess for me, you know, it's it's eye-opening in a lot of ways because we learn things, we meet people that we've we've never heard of before. We're going to meet one of them today, a guy by the name of John Collins, who once upon a time was the governor of the rogue state of Rhode Island. <laughs> Rhode Island has a an intriguing history for those of you that have been around for a while. Uh, you know this. Rhode Island was, of course, essentially founded by... People who were thrown out of Massachusetts. They were thrown out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony because they weren't, uh, well, they refused to pay homage to Christianity the way that the people there wanted it done. And so they were thrown out. They ended up in a place called Rhode Island Plant and uh, Providence Plantations. It, uh, Rhode Island, of course, it gets its name from the Dutch who, who, saw the red clay around the shoreline. They called it red. 
there are some indications in history that it uh, it can also be translated as garbage dump. Uh, Rhode Island is in the colonial era regarded very poorly. It is it is not seen as a a great state. It's almost an appendage. Almost almost it's almost the appendix of the colonies. I mean, it really is. It suffers from a a case of of superiority complex, I guess, or maybe it's an inferiority complex being projected. Who knows? Uh, but but Rhode Island really inflates itself mentally. I mean, it really proceeds in ways that are bigger than what it should be. I guess if you were to look at the think of it as sisters or brothers, however you want to look at it. It's the smallest. I mean, it's it's not the youngest, but it is the smallest of all of them. And and in many ways, it tries to compensate for that. Uh, Rhode Island is actually one of the first states to declare independence from England. It, they're one of the first really on that bandwagon to do so. This is in keeping with their generally anti-English sentiments. Remember, they hated the Church of England. Uh, that the people that settled in Rhode Island were not Church of England people. And so it's not unusual for them to be anti-British in a lot of ways. And during the Revolutionary War, they will provide troops, they will provide money. Uh, Rhode Island does its part. I mean, there's no there's no accusations later on that Rhode Island didn't carry her weight. And in fact, later on during the Civil War, the American Civil War, Rhode Island will become politically very important. You'll have generals that come from there. You have politicians uh, that come from there. And, of course, be, with its Quaker background, it is leading abolitionist-wise, uh, right up there with Pennsylvania on these kinds of things. And it, she is just important but not paid much attention to. After the Revolutionary War, of course— You have the Articles of Confederation that have gone into effect in 1781. In the Articles of Confederation, the biggest, I guess the biggest flaw really in the Articles of Confederation, which caused the consideration of the Constitution, was the fact that everything had to be unanimous. All the states had to agree to do something. So if the United States in 1785 had decided that we were going to go to war against Canada or Mexico or Spain or Florida or wherever... All 13 states would have had to agree if they wanted to build a post road running from north to south, if they wanted to impose a tax, if they wanted to build a canal, if the United States wanted to do something that benefited the entirety of the nation, all 13 states would have to agree. If Georgia wanted to build a dam and they wanted to do so as a federal project, all the states would have to agree. And Rhode Island, of course, went down in history as recalcitrant in many times intentionally, knowingly, willingly stopping things. Rhode Island uh, just <laughs> they just said no a lot. And and it started to annoy people. I mean, they needed to figure out this navigability on the on the Chesapeake Bay issues and the in the Potomac River issues. And there were there were major issues facing the nation that needed to be handled and they couldn't because Rhode Island kept saying no. And at the Annapolis Conference a year before the, the Philadelphia Convention, th- this, was, this was a major issue. How do, we get, how do we get these Confederation articles reworked 
so that Rhode Island can stop stopping everything. They're not the biggest state. They're not the biggest population. They're not the biggest economy. And they're screwing everybody else over. And how do we do this, you know, in a way that that works and, and keeps us united? Well, of course, when the convention began, Rhode Island sent zero delegations to the Philadelphia Convention. They did not send a single person to that convention. They did not participate. They were dead set against it. And they argued vociferously against it. And they refused to even consider it. When it came time to be considered for ratification and it was sent to the states, Rhode Island essentially said, no, we're not even going to consider that. And they didn't. And they didn't. And they didn't. And time went by. And as we all know, we got to uh, nine states, which meant the government was going to be formed. We got Virginia on board. We got New York on board. We eventually got North Carolina on board after the government had formed, but still Rhode Island. No, 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 not listening. And so really, for the first bit of the constitutional era of the United States, Rhode Island was effectively an independent country, effectively. Now, reality is sometimes much different than effect. And while Rhode Island might have taken a great deal of pride in being an independent country, you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't quite mean the things that they wanted to mean. So what went on with Rhode Island? Well, Rhode Island was, uh, again, I, I've said this before, the, the libertarian mindset of today, not necessarily the libertarian party, but the libertarian mindset, the liberty movement of today, is the ideological grandchild of the anti-federalist movement. And nowhere was the anti-federalist movement more strong or stronger than in Rhode Island. Yes, there were spokespeople that lived in other places that were more eloquent, more involved, that didn't stick their fingers in the air and go, la, 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 la. Uh, but, but Rhode Island was, was the anti-federalist state. It would be so well into the 1840s. In the, in, it isn't until the 1840s and the Door Revolt that Rhode Island finally really gets on board with the entirety of the Constitution. Even after they ratify it, they continue to maintain that they're going to function under their 1630s charter, which really flies in the face of both the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And they're allowed to do this for reasons that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, but but all the way into the 1840s, the, the the state of Rhode Island continues to operate as an anti-federalist bastion in in the nation. The the state is run, particularly during this period, from from 1781, roughly a few months before the end of the Revolutionary War, well into the 1800s. It is run by a single party known as the Country Party. Now, the Country Party means exactly what it says. It's all the people that aren't in the cities of Rhode Island, Providence, uh, Newport, Pawtucket, those places. They are country folk. They're non-mercantile. They are farmers for the most part. And they don't like the Constitution. And we're going to spend a lot of time delving into the country party. But they, they, they oppose the Constitution because they have, well, real concerns about civil liberties, what they call civil liberties. Uh, they don't like the idea of the the government being so far away from them. Now, again, 
Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, were considered far away in 1780. Today, that wouldn't be the case, but at that time, that was quite a hell to get to those places, and they didn't like the fact that they would have to reach out to those places. They, uh, they opposed slavery vigorously, and they did not feel that the, the Constitution dealt with slavery in any kind of meaningful way. They were really, and this is probably the biggest issue, really uptight about the monetary policy because they wanted to continue. Remember, the Constitution gives Congress that authority and limits what can be used as money. Well, the state of Rhode Island liked paper money. They loved paper money for reasons that uh, manipulated their economy to the disadvantage of her fellow neighbors. Uh, there's, I've talked about this before. There's a story in the New Testament about uh, Jesus going to the temple, and an argument over the the you know the taxes to pay, tell us is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Well, the reason that argument occurs has nothing to do with taxes. It has to do with the coin that's being used, which is known as a denarius, which is a Roman coin, not a Jewish coin. And so what the, the temple people were doing is they were making the people change their money into, into you know, their, their, their country money, their denarius, into temple money at an exchange rate that favored the priests. And then, and then when they would buy it, sell it back, they would again sell it back to them at a at a advantageous to them rate. Well, Rhode Island is doing the same thing. When you come to Rhode Island to do business, you have to change all your money into Rhode Island money, which of course benefits them. And then the same thing is when you leave, you want to do it in reverse. Well, there you go. And in the process of doing this, they are they're manipulating their economy for their own advantage, but they're doing so to screw the other states at the same time. And that's what's got people really upset around the rest of the country. Why, why does Rhode Island get to do this? We don't do that. So number one, it's not fair. But number two, it's, uh, you know, it's probably, <laughs> probably um, immoral. That's the word I'm looking for. The heavy Baptist population opposes it because of slavery. Uh, they were concerned about natural rights. They were concerned about all these other things. They want a bill of rights. But it's this paper currency thing that really gets people fired up in Rhode Island. In the middle of all this, a man by the name of John Collins, who is well known in the rest of the country at the time. Now, again, today, John Collins, we don't know who he is. It's kind of interesting because he's one of the rare... People, he's actually going to serve as governor of the state of Rhode Island. There is no picture of him. No official portrait was ever painted of him. Of course, there's no photography of him. We have no idea what he looked like. We don't know. We don't know anything about him, uh, as far as his visual appearance. We know a lot about his life because he did a lot of important things when it came to Rhode Island in the Revolutionary War. He was a very good friend of George Washington's. He's the one that carried the letter uh, explaining thing. Uh, to George Washington saying, okay, this is this is what the condition of the state of Rhode Island is. What do we do? How do we do it? Uh, he really ended up uh, being helpful during the American Revolutionary War. He was the official communicator. He wasn't the representative, but he was the one who carried Rhode Island's information, questions, reports, 
to the Congress of the United States. He took care of all of that. And he was, uh, but he still remained at his heart an anti-federalist. He was still a member of the country party. And because of the agrarian nature of Rhode Island, he supported that. He did end up in the Second Continental Congress, but he, uh, he continued to do these kinds of things. The state's agricultural interests ag- vigorously advocated for paper money. They, the agriculture interests really liked this paper money thing because they could, again, devalue it, revalue it, inflate it, deflate it, however they needed to do it in order to allow the farmers to pay off their debts. And they were really concerned about their Revolutionary War debt. Mr. Collins advocated that policy. He agreed with that policy. And in 1786, he ends up being elected governor of the state of Rhode Island. Now, again, he's a member of the country party. And the country party actively opposes ratification of the Constitution of the United States. They, they don't want this. And he, again, as a, as a member of that party, he advocates for that same position. He continues to push for these, these same ideas. But at the same time, he's still a very good friend of George Washington. They're very good friends. They're, what's the line from... Uh, Clear and present danger, not just good friends, great friends. He has the highest regard for George Washington. And John Collins, sitting in office, 1786, 1787, 1789, 1790, watches what's happening with the rest of the country. As the rest of the country ratifies the Constitution, and by by the time Congress is meeting, North Carolina has joined in, and literally, Rhode Island is, is on an island by itself. And there is great pressure. They have gone through convulsions about whether or not they're going to even consider ratifying the Constitution. At first, they refused to even ratify it. The governor and the legislature just say, no, we're not even going to talk about it. We're not even going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. La, 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 la. July 4th, 1788 when Massachusetts ratifies, and it's clear that there's going to be a government in the United States under the Constitution, Federalists in, in Rhode Island, in Providence, decide to have a barbecue on July 4th. They let it be known that they're celebrating independence, and they will have a toast to the Constitution and the new government in the United States. And as we've talked about uh, in a previous episode, the governor sends the thousand men, armed men, the militia of the state of Rhode Island, He sends them to this picnic to break it up with the intent of shooting anybody that tries to resist, right? And so uh, there's a, you know, we've never been more divided, but here you got people willing to shoot at each other because somebody's going to toast the Constitution of the United States. Well, they get that settled and off uh, off they continue to roam. In the meantime, things have begun to, hmm, I don't want to say deteriorate, but there there are problems in the state of Rhode Island, particularly with their monetary policy. They have their state constitution, which is their charter, which was formed in the 1630s. But the legislature starts passing laws. The legislature, with the governor's approval and policy, are, are again passing this paper money thing. And... The paper money is declared to be the the legal tender of the state of Rhode Island. 
concurrent with that, though, the state legislature passes a law that says you have to accept our money, and if you don't, there will be penalties. And then they passed a further law that said that if you don't accept their money in the state of Rhode Island, you don't get a trial by jury, you get a majority of judges, there's no appeal, and uh, that's the end of it. Well, of course, the problem with this is is that the state constitution formed in the 1630s, it's the charter of the state of, of the colony of Rhode Island, which is still in effect, guarantees the right of trial. And so inside of Rhode Island, you start having this tension over, well, our, our constitution says one thing. We don't want to change that. In fact, they won't change it until the 1840s. But at the same time, our laws say something that's in, in clear conflict with what we say we believe. And the Supreme Court of the state of Rhode Island strikes down the paper currency laws as unconstitutional, saying, nope, you can't do that. Now, in most states, what do you think the reaction to that would be? In, in most places where people, you know, believe in the rule of law, you would have this head scratcher and people would go, okay, well, we need to change one or the other. We either need to change the law so that it matches the Constitution or we need to change the Constitution so it matches the state Constitution so that it matches the state law, right? I mean, that's what most people would do. <laughs> Not in Rhode Island. In Rhode Island, uh, the General Assembly, the legislature, summoned all of the judges from the Supreme Court, made them come into the legislative chamber, lectured them, reprimanded them, and then uh, essentially fired them, told them you're not being, uh, you will not be reappointed because you did not do what we wanted you to do. And then they passed a law saying you will accept our paper money and that's that. And so you had this situation in Rhode Island now where, you know, it's constitution says one thing, legislature is doing something else. Well, this would, this is pretty typical of Rhode Island again, well into the 1840s. And the pressure begins to mount. Collins, the governor, his good friend George Washington is elected president of the United States. The Congress of the United States passes the Bill of Rights. They're ratified. It's pretty clear to everybody that the, the anti-federalist worst fears about what would initially happen are not coming to pass. And Rhode Island, which is still sitting there, begins to weaken. The governor calls a convention, the convention goes and says no. So he calls another convention. The convention goes and they say no. And they call another convention and they say probably not. And then they call another convention and they say, well, maybe. And then they call another convention and they say, why? And it's dragging on and it's dragging on and it's dragging on and it's dragging on. And in 1790, John Collins, the governor of the state of Rhode Island, a, a, a member of the country party and an anti-federalist at heart, realizing that the worst is not coming to pass, that, that the country isn't, you know, hasn't, hasn't split in half and been swallowed whole by the earth. There's no civil war brewing. If there is a civil war brewing, it's between his state and the rest of them. He realizes that things are not that bad. And finally, after 11 previous conventions, March of 1790, there is a, a convention in Newport. 
And at this convention, John Collins, the governor, an anti-federalist, a member of the country party, says, yeah, we should do this. It ends his political career. He will never be reelected to to the governorship. He will be elected to Congress, but he won't take his seat. And at in a, by a margin of 34 to 32, the state of Rhode Island ratifies the Constitution in June of 1790. Now, overhanging this, and you got to understand this, overhanging this, the, the, the government of the United States, the Congress of the United States has passed a law saying, you either ratify this or we're going to throw you out. You don't get to call yourself. You don't. We're going to take your star off the thing. You don't get to be part of the country, and we're going to economically boycott you. So you need to you need to get your stuff together. And eleven days after Congress passes that law is when they vote thirty four to thirty two to ratify. And along come Rhode Island. Rogue Island ceases to go rogue and decides to become part of the actual United States. Now again. Many of these same issues are going to continue to, to, to function in Rhode Island well into the 1840s. It's, it's fascinating. It's uh, an incredible story of Rhode Island's reluctance to become part of the United States, even though they ratified the Constitution, and they, they finally begin it. And as for, as for Mr. Collins, he, of course, passed on some, some years later. And to this day, the Sons of the Revolution, Sons of uh, Liberty— in Rhode Island, continue to hold at his gravesite a memorial to him every year on Rhode Island Independence Day, which is May 4th. But beyond that, he's not remembered by history. We don't think much about him anymore. We don't, uh, very few people know who he was, what he did, why he did it. But without him, you got to wonder what would have happened in Rhode Island if they would have ever gotten around to, I, I suspect that they probably would have at some point, but... Might have taken even longer and might have cost more. Who knows? But it was John Collins who who finally realized the wisdom of the Constitution, who finally realized that things weren't going to be as bad as the Anti-Federalists feared, certainly not as bad as the country party feared, and that we're stronger together than we are apart. And finally said, nope, we need to do this. And then the 12th convention in Rhode Island finally got the Constitution ratified and join the United States. Well, join the government under the Constitution of the United States. It's fascinating, and it's important to remember these people because, again, he sacrificed his political career for what he knew what was best, not just for his state, but for his country. We don't have very many leaders like that anymore, do we? There you go. Won't be here tomorrow. Cammy's having her surgery tomorrow, so I'll be back hopefully on Monday. With a brand new show. I got a lot to talk about from last show. We'll get into some of that. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life, love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman. This is my show, The Dave Bowman Show, right here on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll update you as to how Cammy's doing, and we'll see you on Monday. The Dave Bowman Show is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. For more information or to complain about how the show offended you, the text or voicemail number is 209-565-DAVE. 
For more information about the show, log on to the DaveBowmanShow.com. Hey, I'm going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television.